This podcast is brought to you by dpztechnology.com. High Impact Dads was created to give you tools and insights for effective fathering in a hectic world. If you like this podcast, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review. This certainly will help those who need this information the most to be able to find it. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of High Impact Dads. I'm your host, Michael Conant. I'm very excited about the show we have for you today. Joining us again are Bob Record, Jeff Kemp, and Ken McClinton. Bob has been a national ministry leader. He's been a public speaker. He's a published author of 10 books, the most recent of which is Ending the Cycle of Father Wounds. Jeff Kemp is a former NFL quarterback, public speaker, one of the leaders at the Fatherhood Commission, and is the author of the book, Facing the Blitz. Ken McClinton is a Washington DC area ministry leader. He's a respected entrepreneur, the founder and CEO of TECN TV. But all three of these guys will tell you that most importantly, they're husbands, fathers, and grandfathers. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us again. Thank you. It's an honor. All right. Jeff, fatherhood can take men by surprise. And as men, we're reluctant to admit when we don't know what to do. Yeah. Is this, is this a common problem with fathers that they just aren't, aren't willing to admit that they don't know what to do? Well, it's a common problem that most guys, they have a child and then they're like, holy cow, I'm a dad now. What am I supposed to do? You know, I, I thought my dad wasn't that good and I'd be great. Now I'm a dad and I'm really not sure what to do. And the first thing that uh, I think that Ken and Bob and I want to remind guys is you're not supposed to know what to do. You're not supposed to have this down before you get started. You're not supposed to do this on your own. This is not a solo sport. God, I'm going to use sports language here. God is a team guy. He, he is a relational God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he made us to be relational. And he made us to depend upon our dads. And if he didn't do a good job, our granddads. And if there's a good uncle in the family, an uncle. And if there's not that, a mentor. And always a couple good friends, men of character that got your back. And you reach out to those guys. That's why we go to church to build a community of, of guys that believe in Jesus and want to follow the Bible and want to love their wives and raise their kids well. And you start asking, hey, how did you father? What's the key to it? What's the purpose to it? What are some of the mistakes you made? Uh, so I just want to put guys at ease. Don't feel like you're the only one that didn't really know what to do when this thing came upon you or like you're still struggling. Realize that all of us go through that. And then secondly, realize that God wanted you to reach out to him for guidance, the heavenly father, the perfect father. Okay. And then secondly, want you to reach out to some other guys some other mentors. And I had mentors um, who helped me with my fathering, especially when I became the father of teenagers, because that was a different stage. So uh, you're not alone. It's a team sport. Go figure out fatherhood in the company of other good men. Find a couple other good fathers and ask them for guidance and help, and then stick it with them. I, I get help every week from my huddle on a lot of fathering issues, even today. Great advice for helping us figure out fatherhood and, and gain confidence. So many see fatherhood merely as a role to be filled, but you guys see it a little differently. You believe it's a calling. Bob, can you start us off and, and tell, tell us what you mean by the word calling? 
Yeah, and I'll just say amen and amen to what uh, was said by Jeff. Man, when I felt my first child was a girl, uh, it was the first baby I'd ever held in my life. And now it was mine. And I'm thinking, what in the world am I to do now? And I couldn't say amen stronger to what uh, Jeff said. <laughs> what a learning curve and what a ride and what a need for others to come alongside and give guidance. On the issue of role and how Ken and uh, Jeff and I see it more than that, and that being a calling, one of the things, Michael, that I've found a lot of guys find helpful is the look at the difference between role and calling. Role is something that's used quite often, a role in a movie, a role in a play, a role in a musical. And what is a role? It's a part that is filled and you learn the part and you do what you know. Well, let's go back to me when I was with my newborn baby, I had a role as a dad. And therefore I realized the only thing I know how to do is do what I know. And what did I know? To Jeff's great point, it's what I saw my dad do. I didn't even have a granddad, so I never got to see him do anything. And now all I knew to do was what I had seen done. And a lot of that, in my case, was um, by a guy who loved me but didn't know how to show it. And now how do I do that now? Well, that's what a role is. It is doing what you know, and it often leads to a sense of obligation. This is what I've got to do. Now let's look at calling. Calling goes way beyond what all of us know. It stretches us to be more than we thought we could be because it's a divine plan that God has established for us. And he says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I've got for you, Dad, and their plans to prosper you, never to harm you, to give you a great hope and a wonderful future. So rather than an obligation, like a role, suddenly, if you see it as a calling, it becomes an opportunity. Big difference between obligation and opportunity. And it's rather than I've got to do whatever, calling sees it as I get to do whatever. Wow, what a change. And I had to learn that. And boy, uh, Jeff and Ken know me well enough. No, I'm a remedial slow learner. <laughs> so it took me a while to get the fact that I got uh, that privilege of doing this. It wasn't something I've got to do. And that changed everything in my fathering. When I saw that God loved me enough to father me. And then as I grew along, I began to pray, God, help me to love my son or my daughters, in the way you love me. Oh, wow, what a changer that was when it started to become more of a calling than it was just a role. So there's a desire and a willingness that comes along with seeing it as a calling. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well said. Ken, would you like to expound on that? Well, I, I want to speak to the whole idea of the person who comes into the position of being a father. Uh, for many people who are in the inner city, over 80% of the families happen to be of a single parent 
uh, relationship, the majority of which women are running the household. For a lot of men, as they were raised, they were grown up with a lot of uncles in their life. Uh, individuals who came in for a temporary period in their life, basically at the usage of the betrothed parent uh, and really didn't have a fastening of what their role as a father would be by watching what they saw. And so many of us uh, have a bent understanding of the idea of what calling is, the, the invitation of the Lord for you to become everything that he ever wanted you to be. And many of us also mystify it by being church-oriented, and we think that there is some gravitas to the whole concept uh, that this is a holier than thou, and only a few people can ever arrive at that. And God is saying in 1 Corinthians seven twenty, let everyone stay in the position in which they were invited to know the Lord. For us, for individuals who happen not to have a someone who raised them as a father figure, the whole concept of orphan comes into play. And God says, listen, I want to bring you into me. I want you to flow through me. I want you to see me as your father. You don't have to necessarily depend on what the world showed you because the world is broken but I can show you a more perfect experience. And so that's why it's very important, especially for inner city families or families where there was a subculture in which there was no father in the household, that individuals find mentors like Bob and like Jeff, who are willing to pour into their lives, into that flow that God is giving us to learn how to love ourselves first uh, unto God and then love others, meaning our children, meaning the ones who bequeath us those particular uh, giftings of God. We have to acknowledge the fact that we have been called by God, invited by God to be brought into a more perfect relationship with him. And in that perfect relationship with him, we find the pursuit of the truth. And the truth means that every single day I recognize my weakness and I recognize his strength. And in him, I have my very being. I discern exactly what it means to be a father, not by the world's principles, but by the principles of God. Well said, Ken. Well said. To tie into that, Jeff, with so much confusion about manhood and fatherhood, how can a dad see through the fog and gain confidence in his calling? Mm. I think the fog is a good description, Michael. Um, manhood is confused today. The vision of manhood, mm -hmm. uh, the word masculinity. Uh, somehow the culture got the idea that masculinity is negative. You know, what a crazy concept that masculinity is toxic. There are toxic men. And there are toxic ideas and toxic behaviors and toxic uh, values that have come across through the consumer world, the pornography world, the violent video game world, uh, the me first greed world. But masculinity, that is inherently the desire to make life better for others. 
to protect, to steward. That, that is a great thing. That's what fathering is. Fathering protects, provides, guides, trains, shepherds, and eventually, after discipling a child to know that Jesus is the Savior and that Father God is their perfect father, and for them to start running to their perfect father, and they become a college-type kid, a, a 20-year-old, you step back. And you stop giving a bunch of unsolicited advice. You're not in control anymore. You're not the policeman anymore. Uh, you ought to let go of the financial purse strings and kind of controlling your kid with money. You, you step back and you point them to the Heavenly Father and you pray and you model and you're a consultant on call. You're a cheerleader. That's like Bob was talking about. The roles change during the years. The calling is to steward the child God put into your life for God, who the child belongs to, not to you and even to your wife. That's something that I think is central to this whole thing. Uh, we got to remember that we belong to God, not our parents. And our children belong to God, not us. Mm -hmm. Although for that season of parenting, moms and dads are so responsible. And, you know, at the beginning, they can do nothing for themselves. And we're totally plugged in, taking care of it all. But we're training them to be a mature, responsible adult who lives an interdependent life, you know, independent of mommy and daddy, but still relationally respectful and getting along. Uh, they're going to have their own home someday. So you got to get the true vision of masculinity and manhood first. And that comes from looking at the ultimate man, Jesus. Mm -hmm. He's strong. He's courageous. He's tender. He's loving. Uh, no one has been more sacrificial, a better servant or a better leader. That's the model of a man. And the model of a father Jesus gave us when he told the story about the prodigal son and his kind of, uh, I, I follow the rules, legalistic uh, you know, older brother that was kind of bitter towards the little brother for, who got forgiven. Um, both those brothers left the daddy and didn't really respect and love the daddy. But the daddy stayed on the front porch, welcoming the prodigal son home. He didn't chase him out into the streets and do anything dumb or desperate. He didn't yell at him or control him. But when he came back, he extended grace. He hugged him. He gave him a coat, some sandals, a ring. And he said, let's fire up the barbecue. My son was lost and he's found. He demonstrated grace. But he also stood on truth. And his younger son wanted to change because of his grace. And his older son whined and complained. And the dad said, hey, everything I've always had has been yours. Love is the basis of this relationship, not a bunch of rules. So go look at, at what kind of father God is and what kind of father Jesus spoke of in the Bible. And then go find a Bob record or a Ken McClinton or myself or you and say, hey, tell me some of your wins and losses in fathering. What, what have you learned? Um, so look for role models, look for mentors. But first of all, go to Jesus, the ultimate man, and Father God, Abba Father, Jesus called him the ultimate father. Okay, and there's great books on fatherhood. Uh, Bob and I are part of the Fatherhood Commission. There's great video courses and all sorts of organizations. If you go to fatherhoodcommission.com, you can find all sorts of resources that will guide you to these reliable blueprints in an age of counterfeits and confusion. But it's not a solo sport. It's a team thing, Michael. Mm -hmm. you got to get it from other men. That's a great way to put it, Jeff.
And I also like how you said that parents too often lose sight of the fact that children were entrusted to them by God. Do you think that the father and the prodigal son recognized that? Yeah, the father let go of the prodigal son, let him go do his thing, even gave him his inheritance. He was recognizing that I'm not micromanaging this guy because I'm not owning him. He's his own man, but he will always be my son. And when he wants to recognize me as the dad, I'll welcome him back. And he's in my family. Obviously, that's a picture Jesus painted of our heavenly father. And in this case, with our heavenly father, we grow more and more and more dependent upon him, the more mature we are in our faith. I grew less and less dependent on Jack Kemp as I became a man. And then I got kind of wise at about 38 or 40 years old and said, geez, I should ask my dad for more advice. And I started calling him up and asking him for advice on my teenagers. And he had some good advice, better than I, I thought he would give me. Uh, he wasn't a perfect dad through that era, but he just used some good common sense and life wisdom. Plus, it made my dad feel my respect for him and it improved our relationship. Anytime you ask a man for advice, you build that respect in him and he draws closer to you. Absolutely. Absolutely, Jeff. That's that's all very important. And your father, much like the, the father of the prodigal son, recognized fatherhood as a calling. And so, Bob, why is the term calling so important? I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier. It takes you beyond just what you know, and it takes you to what you can be, because you see that God has invested a lot in you, and he loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay there. And if we're going to love our kids in the way that God loves us as dads, then I'm going to love them where they are, but I'm also going to love them too much to let them stay there. So that as Jeff so beautifully said, you're helping them progress along the track of becoming more and more able to make wise decisions on their own but they start by doing it in a protective environment where a dad can give some covering for those decisions, some guidance and some bumper rails when the decisions aren't exactly like they ought to be. And so I think that calling issue moves it from me saying, oh, man, I'm beat. It's been a long day. I've got this demand at the office. I've got to get on a plane or go to a, a meeting tomorrow that a lot's on the line about and then your child comes up and says, Dad, let's go play ball. And you're inside going, oh, can I just shoot myself now? But if you see it as a calling, you're going to suddenly stop and realize that that may be one of those critical moments you've got, far more important than an airplane ride or a meeting or whatever. Because here's the bottom line that I had to learn the hard way. I told you I was a slow learner. When you leave that career you're building or that job you work so hard to get or that demand you feel like as a provider, when you leave that, it's amazing how short a time passes before they don't even remember who you were because somebody else has stepped in to take your place. But there is a person, it's called a son or a daughter, who will remember for the rest of their life whether or not you were available, whether you saw them as something you had to do or something you got to do. 
meaning a privilege, something you felt you were cheating if you had to give them time, but if you gave them time and they felt that that was something you wanted to do, they'll remember that long after you're gone. So I had to have a retraining of my own self, my own understanding of that incredible issue that Jeff so beautifully said about stewardship. God entrusted me his possession, my kids, they were his. And then he trusted me with the ability to help guide them and shape them and mold them. Wow, what an honor that is to sense that the God of all creation has trusted you as a dad to help your kids, whether you are in suburbia, whether you're in the urban area, or whether you're in the inner city. The God of all creation has chosen you to be the dad of your child. And I see so many dads, Mike, and I'll, I'll shut up after this, who are, as a result of our culture, trying to be their kid's best friend, whether it's a daughter or a, a son. And here's what I'd say to every one of those dads. There are over 7 billion people in the world who could be a possibility of the best friend of your child. But there's only one who can be their dad, and that's you. And oh man, cherish that opportunity, that call. That idea of being friends with your son or daughter is a positive, positive feeling, emotion and thought and aspiration. Sure. But wouldn't it be better to be friends with them when they're 26, 27, 28, 32, when they want to bring the grandkids over to your house and leave them for a week? Even though there were some rough patches during age 17, age 16, age, age 19. Now, why were there rough patches? Because you weren't friendly? No. Because you didn't want to be their friend? No. Because you stuck to your calling, which was, I'm going to do the thing that Father God tells me to do right now that is most loving and truthful. And sometimes that's you got to apologize. Other times, dude, you can't drive the car for two months. You're going to miss, you know, taking that trip with your friends. Uh, but I'm going to put a boundary on this because I'm training you to be the best possible person you can be. I still believe in you. Your future is bright. I love you like crazy. You're going to get as many hugs and kisses from me as ever before, but you're not getting any allowance and you're not getting these keys. That isn't a friend of the moment move. Right. But that's a friend of the future move when they look back and say, my dad did a good job and he did it for my best, even when I didn't understand it. And then if you can figure out how to stop giving them advice and acting like the parenting dad, once they're 23, they'll want to be your friend. Exactly. Well said. Well said. Ken, you want to expound on that? Yeah, I, I, I want to say this in the sense that, unfortunately, this whole idea of being a friend uh, is a liberal argument uh, towards the degradation of the father's relationship. The, the father's role is to be a friend uh, as Jesus is. It's, it's a natural part. You, you, you are a friend, but you have to understand in your calling that you have been given the opportunity to raise someone up, not necessarily to always be in agreement. Agreement doesn't give respect. Uh, agreement doesn't show love. Agreement just shows that we are 
in a moment where we can, you know, understand each other and we can abide with one another. But the, the whole idea is that God said, someone was given the opportunity to raise you. Now, God, the Father, is absolutely perfect, so we'll always fall short. And it's very easy to pinpoint the errors of those who raised us. But remember, someone's pinpointing the errors of how you raised them. And so in raising our children, we need to set the boundaries of Christ and the Holy Ghost around them. We have a responsibility to pour into them so that even when they disappoint us, and even when they disappoint themselves, they have a place to return back to, that understanding that I can come back home to you and I can abide in you. I can flow through you. Uh, and you are my father, and I am your son. Well said, Ken. Jeff, would you like to tie into that and tell us how the Bible expresses that fatherhood is important to Almighty God? Oh, boy, I want to make it practical. Dad, if you weren't around, your kid wouldn't be around, and civilization wouldn't go forward. That same could be said for moms, right? But male and female, God made us to turn into dad's and moms, and to do team parenting, which is why marriage is so important, okay? And the Apostle Paul says in the book of Ephesians that husbands should love their wives sacrificially like Jesus, be humble, apologize first, you know, give up your preferences, you heal the relationship, you get your, you two to some marriage counseling, you solve problems, you keep the two of you together, lay down your life, and that wives are to respect their husbands mean uh, he has a role to guide and shepherd in this family. And I can do best when I appreciate his desire to do well, not when I just criticize him. Okay. So when a husband and wife do that together, it creates an incredible teamwork. And it talks about that being a mystery that looks like the teamwork of being married to God. Jesus marries the church and we work together. Mm -hmm. husband marries a wife and we work together to raise kids. So the Bible has fatherhood is central. At the beginning of history, God gives Adam and Eve this assignment to be fruitful and multiply and to steward this creation. Well, the creation is your children. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then with Abraham, God gets really serious and he says, I want to build a huge family through you. A family that relates to me that I bless that follows my commands, which are commands that give you blessing. It's like following a great football coach. If you do what he says, you win. If you don't do what he says, you lose. Your choice. You can do what you want and lose and get cut and not have a job in the NFL, or you can follow the coach. We got we had a better coach than any NFL coach. We have a perfect coach. And guess what he calls himself throughout the Bible, Michael? Father. Father. Jesus calls him Heavenly Father. Jesus calls him Daddy. I'm not sure if it was Arabic, but the, the, he used the phrase Abba. Mm -hmm. So all through the Bible, God presents himself as the Father. He talks to Abraham as a father. He talks about your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. You got to be a committed dad, committed to the calling, if you're going to have generations that love the family, that love God, and that prosper. All right. 
And then again, I already mentioned the story of the prodigal father. That was one of the most important stories Jesus ever shared. And he painted a picture right there of how awesome his Abba father is. And guess what, Michael? That's your dad too. Even though you had a human dad, Ken, you had a human dad, Jeff, Bob, we had some missing gaps, some problems, some wounds. Some guys have not even known their human dad. My friend, Marvin Charles, inner city Seattle, did not know his dad, did not know his mom, wasn't raised by them. Father God found him, gave him Jesus, refathered him. Some other men came along. They told him, you're a beloved son of a great father. He's pleased with you. And Marvin said, what is that? He said, we just blessed you. We gave you the father's blessing. He said, let's get my teenage boys in here. And they prayed a blessing right away over them. Fathering is throughout the Bible. God is a father. Jesus tells us what a great father he is. And he wants us fathers to appreciate that amazing opportunity, as Bob calls it, the calling that Ken was talking about, to steward our children and our families. And of course, if you're married, your marriage and your wife. And if you're not married, you treat your wife, ex-wife, or the mother of your kids well. The better you treat her, the more you create security in children. But again, the answer is the Bible loves fatherhood because God calls himself a father. Yeah, Michael, in, in conjunction with what Jeff just beautifully said, it'd be interesting for maybe our hearers to know that in the four Gospels in the New Testament and the book of Acts, Jesus referred to father 217 times. That's amazing. He referred to the father more than he did the kingdom of God. And then you go to the letters that were written by the apostle Paul, 40 times he refers to the issue of father. So to Jeff's great point, it is absolutely central in the concept in the uh, scripture and word of God, which is our owner's manual. Mm -hmm. yeah, so going back to what Jeff was saying earlier, the Bible is our playbook. Yeah, buddy. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. When we take a look at John 3, 14 through 21, everyone loves the 16th verse because it's the eternal promise of life everlasting with Christ for accepting him as Lord and Savior. But it also is a doxology. It's an explanation that God found us worthy and he finds us as men worthy to take on the role of being a father. That is, you have a second chance at this. Yeah, it's okay to admit you failed. It's okay to admit you're not perfect. It's okay, because I know it's okay. I, that's why I sent my beloved son. But guess what? You can get this right. It's okay. I didn't come in here to condemn you, to destroy you, to kill you, to give you what you deserve but I came to give you what you didn't deserve. I made you worthy. And so for many of us, we carry a great deal of guilt, like a bag of rocks. And I love the story that uh, Pastor Bob gives in terms of carrying the bag of rocks. We, we carry the guilt and the shame of the imperfections of our fathers, the imperfection of us and the expectation of the imperfection of our sons. When our focus should be, as Jeff stated, on the father who beloved his two children. Both of his kids were off. They were screwy. One was close to him and said, I didn't get enough. The other one said, I want to live on my own and do what I want to do. And he loved them both, even in his imperfection of giving in to them. He loved them 
both. He made them worthy to be his sons. And so I want everyone to know on this particular day that as a father, you are made worthy by the absolute perfect father. And so carrying those, that bag of rocks of guilt and shame and I, oh my God, I'll never get this right. I'll never be perfect. I won't even try. Forget it. He'll, he'll learn from his mom. He'll, it, God is saying, listen, I'm calling you. I am pulling you next to me. Draw nigh to me and I will draw nigh to you. And I will teach you how to love on not only your sons, but your daughters and make them a generation worthy of the grace and the mercy that I extended to not only Abraham and Adam, but also to David and Samuel and all the others. Everything you see in the Bible, all of those were imperfect fathers, but they were all dependent on the perfect father drawing them close to him. Draw, draw nigh to the Lord. Hmm. Hey, Ken, that was fabulous. I want to take this right down to uh, the, where, the, where the rubber meets the road, a guy who's trying to figure out how to do it. Um, how do I apply the truth you were just saying? Well, a central thing to remember is you can't do the horizontal relationships on earth well if you don't have a strong vertical relationship with your heavenly father through Jesus, the savior, who accomplished it all perfectly, gives you credit for that. So you can take off that bag of rocks, put it on the confidence of Jesus that the father smiles on you, even though you bumbled last night. And you can go forward in his confidence. And that vertical relationship then gives you the wisdom to go horizontal. What do you say to your wife today? What do you say to your son? What do you say to your daughter? What do you do with your daughter? How do you apologize? I don't know. And I'm not going to give you a book to tell you what, what to do. But guess who will tell you? Your heavenly father. So here's the practical part. Every morning, wake up and say, God, I can't run this life of mine on my own. I want you to own it because you're a better owner than me and a much better father than I'll ever be. I'd like you to speak to me today and guide me how to father my children. Tell me what to say. Remind me to hug them. Mm. Help me not be embarrassed to kiss them. Help me tell them the stories of my failures and embarrassment when I was a teenager and was dumb. And, and help me apologize when I mess up. But whatever it is, God, I'm turning to you vertically for you to give me a download, for you to give me the game plan, for you to give me the marching orders, minute to minute. What do I say in this moment? You can pray to God without closing your eyes and getting all holy and going to some pew. You mm -hmm. got to belong to that dad. So the vertical gives you the minute to minute coaching to carry out the horizontal. Jeff, as, as men, we're a lot of times reluctant to relinquish control. So how can a guy humble himself enough to do what you're asking and, and develop that proper vertical relationship. I would like to urge men to do something tangible in their life relative to faith. A lot of guys will say they believe, they were raised in a believing family. They don't take any actions that relate to that. And I would recommend that they consider taking some tangible action that says, God, I believe you would be a better owner and manager of my life than me. And I want you to take over control. And you may just pull out a piece of paper and type up on your computer or write out a title deed in your life. My length of life, my body, my dreams, my goals, my bank account, our house, my family, my sexual desires, my anger, my dream of a vacation home, 
everything about me, my talents and gifts, and of course my children. And I signed my signature at the bottom, just like I would if I was giving my automobile or truck over to you. I'd sign the title deed, hand it over. I would definitely turn off the car, take out the keys, get out of the seat, unbuckle the seatbelt, hand you the keys, give you the title deed, make sure I signed it. The cool thing in this case is God invites you back into the car and he may be driving for a while and you're just the passenger, but then he says, hey, jump back in. You can drive. I'll tell you where to go. In fact, he fixes the engine. He inflates the tires. He, he, he changes the whole car. He makes it work. He gives it a GPS. That's the vertical relationship. So I would say to a guy, if your faith hasn't been tangible, you, you should consider writing a title deed to God. I'm happy to help you with that if you get in touch with me. And secondly, go talk to one or two friends or a pastor and say, I want this Christian thing to be real. And I'm going to tell you right now my prayer that God take over my life. Will you pray for me and help me? Once you do that, you're going to want to talk to God as your dad. And the Bible starts to be a letter from your father to you, not a bunch of intellectual, smart Christian stuff. Mm -hmm. And you don't pray as a Christian, you pray as a son waiting to hear from your father. So that's where you can start turning the corner to get some confidence in your fathering. Because if you never put your ownership of your life in God's hands, you're like one foot in, one foot out. Or with the fence, you're sitting on the fence. And you know, as men, it's not comfortable. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> Jeff, that was fantastic. Uh, absolutely awesome, tangible example. I love it. Let's keep on this role, on this focus. Bob, what are the differences between a man who views fatherhood merely as a role and a man who views fatherhood as a calling? You know, Michael, I think that the guy who sees it as a calling sees it as beyond what he knows, but to be what he can become. And I find that a lot of dads don't have any trouble thinking, I hope God has some kind of plan for my son or daughter. But a guy who feels a sense of calling as a dad understands it's not just the son or daughter that God has a plan for. It's him as dad, too. And that's a key, key issue. It's so, easy to think my son or daughter need this. It's a whole different issue to realize as a man, as a dad, I need to become everything God created me to be. And for the dad who wants to be blessed in his life, great. And that's important. And I hope you will be. But even more important than do you want God to bless you, my question would be, are you living a life that God can bless? You see, that's a real, real important question. It is. One of the issues that is faced in our modern era uh, is this whole concept that you leave a representation of your, your DNA in every port of doc, uh, of every city, there is a child that looks like you. And so what we have done is actually belittle the concept of what a true father is. We're not a baby-making machine. We're not a reproductive item. Um, this whole concept of uh, a woman saying that I, I'm in a new relationship with a man, so I want to give him a child. That's our, our concept of entering into fatherhood is sometimes misprescribed. 
And so sometimes if we don't get that particular situation squared with us, that we understand that a child is a gift from God. And when you're taking a whole concept of, of looking at God, God is life. God is living. God is everlasting. But Satan is for the moment. Satan uh, has a sure death and he's seeking to steal, kill and destroy, uh, you know, take the party with him. Uh, so in our regard as fathers, one of the things that we need to do is to respect what God has given us and the ability to bring about life. When we begin to respect and adhere and to love life to the fullest, then we will be able to appreciate fully the role of being a father, which is eternal. Just as God is eternal, our fatherhood is eternal. When you're 20 years old and that baby is three and you're tossing a baby up, that's wonderful. But guess what? You'll still be a father at 80 when that 60-year-old comes to you and says, Dad, I need your advice. I need your counsel. So you have to become everything that you need to be in order to be everything they need you to be. Well said, Ken. And so as part of the calling, you mentioned having a skewed view of manhood. Is part of the calling helping our sons develop healthy uh, senses of, of manhood and masculinity and our daughters' healthy viewpoints of, of femininity? Yes, uh, it's a garden experience um, that you actually teach your children to respect themselves, their body, their, the whole concept of being able to pass on a new generation. Uh, I remember when my daughters were taking a class at the church and that particular class was talking about uh, sex, sexuality. Uh, and the whole concept, and, and it was done in the spiritual context, so don't worry, you know, Playboy wasn't there. Uh, but it was done in a context of understanding that God has made you for someone else. And that making of you is a promise to be kept. And in that promise being kept, that a child would be born of that seed and of that seed, it will be a new generation in which you prescribe the Lord to that generation. When you're called by God, when you're invited by God, it's not always perfect, your, your situation or circumstance, but he calls you so that you do make a change in your life that you can pass on to another generation. And so when it comes to the whole concept, of loving your children into the next generation, you have to first learn how to love yourself. Too many of us run out trying to love other people into a love of ourselves. You have to first love yourself. You have to first respect yourself. And then you have to understand the power of the seed that God has given you and uh, your DNA and in your structure. You know, in our day and age now, there are people who are gender fluid. There are people who say that I was born in the wrong sex. Well, no matter how much money they spend on a sex change operation, 100,000, 200,000, 500,000, it never changes the core definition of your DNA, XX and XY. 
And so God is saying, I'm at the core of all of that. And I want to become all that you need along the way. We need to go back to those particular thoughts of being able to teach our children to love themselves, to love God, and then to love others. Well said, Ken. Well said, because loving our loving oneself is a reflection of the God, uh, uh, the love that God has for us. Mm-hmm. But Bob, I'd like to ask you: When a dad has a tough background, and he recognizes the concept of being called to be a father, does his background define his future as a father? That's a great question, and the wonderful thing in God's economy is one's background never has to define their future. God's in the transforming business. And uh, in the book of Romans, it says that God's gift is eternal life. And one of the things that I'm really saddened by is that too often the church allows the concept of eternal life to just sort of symbolize one day when somebody dies they go into heaven, and that is their eternal life. That's not the focus of the Scripture. The Scripture says that the moment I enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, like Ken and Jeff have so nailed, that moment my eternal life begins. I don't have to wait until I die. It starts the very minute that I surrender my life, my future, my dreams, my uh Uh, family, my kids, to Jesus Christ. And then he says, to answer your question also, Michael, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, this is powerful if any man, any man, I don't care whether you're in the hood, I don't care whether you're wealthy, I don't care whether you're the other side of the world or in an impoverished country, or your dad is a king or a president, if any man, finds that relationship with Jesus Christ by asking him into his heart. He becomes a brand new creation. And then it goes on to say, old things are passed away. Behold, everything becomes new. And it doesn't mean new in time. It means new in character and quality. It means the moment a man enters a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, everything in the past, the baggage, the rocks that he may have been carrying, is taken away. It is removed as a weight in his life. He is freed up. And then one more verse I'll give you. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, when a man is in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, or a woman for that matter, it says that they become his, listen to this word, his masterpiece. Mm. Now, I want to tell you, I grew up in a tough situation. I grew up being thrown from house to house and finally thrown out of my house. And I grew up then even in an adopted home in a very, very uh, not affluent situation. We didn't have much at all. But the Bible says that regardless of any of that, or regardless of the mistakes I made, or regardless of the missteps I took, God made me his masterpiece masterpiece. And then it goes on to say that he created us anew in Christ Jesus to do the good things that he planned for us even before the world began. (laughs) Dad, listen to me. I don't care how much struggle you may be feeling. 
or how inadequate you may sense you are as a dad. You are God's masterpiece, and he has an opportunity and a desire to transform you into everything he created you to become. Wow, what a ride. So does the past have to define the future? With God, the answer is absolutely not. Nailed it, Bob. And I know you're given hope because you learned that from your own experience. Yeah, boy. I can imagine as soon as a man humbles himself and says, Jesus, I can't do it on my own. I accept you as my savior. I want to be a son of the father. As soon as that transformation takes place and you give ownership of your life to God, God fast forwards the whole movie of your life. And he sees everything that he's done to forgive you. And he wipes all your sin of the past, all your sin of today, and all your sins that are coming. The next 30 years isn't much to God. He, he can fast forward that whole movie. And he knows that Jesus forgave all the sin on, on the cross, even those 30 years coming or 40 years or whatever it is, right? And he sees the progress and the improvements and the Christ-like character you develop over these years. And then he sees who you are in heaven. And guess what you are in heaven? You're perfected. You got a new body. There's no more tears, no more anger, no more lust, no more greed. It's all the way God intended it. And God sees that man in the future right now, and he gives you credit for it. Second Corinthians 5, 21, where Bob was talking a little bit later, says, God made Jesus to be sin and its punishment for us who do sin, even though he never sinned so that we could become righteous like Jesus. He turned us into righteous. That's how you figure out how to love yourself. Ken explained, you got to love yourself? Well, if you realize how much God loved you and that he cleaned you up and he sees you as perfect in Jesus's eyes because he forgave you, that heals the past, cancels those cycles, and lets you start living into your identity instead of trying to earn it by performing as a Christian or a a ladies man or a business guy or a moneymaker or, you know, a social influencer. God sees the whole movie. He knows who you'll turn out to be. And he's giving you credit for it right now. If you are in Jesus Christ, a son of the father. You know, Jeff, Dr. Tony Evans uh, makes mention of the fact that uh, our mirrors are cracked and that we are imperfect in terms of our fatherhood. Uh, and the stress of many people is focused on that crack in the mirror, but that crack is actually one of the most powerful tools that anyone will ever have, uh, because it always reminds you, no matter what, no matter what you do, no matter how much you earn, no matter where you live or what you do, it always reminds you that you need someone more than you can do yourself. Uh, and with that crack in the mirror, we're reminded of the fact that there is one who will polish us, clean us up, make us look shiny and brand new so that our children can look upon not ourselves, but Christ in us. Uh, and so that crack reminds us of our weakness. It reminds us of our failings. It reminds of our, of our lackings. It reminds us of our doubts and our fears and our shame and our guilt. It reminds us that we need someone and we can't do it all by ourselves. And so when we take a look at the whole process of being a father, 
many of us have grafted the idea that all I need to do is have sex, produce a child, and I'll be able to do it all by myself. You can't. It's impossible. You can't do it all by yourself. You will always have a crack and your children will see that crack. Now, you will either respect the fact that that crack is there and that you can be polished and shined by the Lord, or you will continue to watch the crack grow uh, as you are defiled by Satan. Uh, it is very, very important for us to not only be a mirror of Christ to our children, but also to be a window to our souls so that they see in us uh, everything that we need to do to make ourselves better. Because what they see in their youth, they will follow in their old age and they will remember, my dad wasn't perfect and I don't draw all the attention to his imperfection, but I draw attention to what he showed me. He showed me a desire to become right before God and to seek his righteousness and then wait and be patient because everything else would be added to us. So Ken, knowing that our Heavenly Father polishes out the imperfections that should take away some of the performance anxiety that being a father can bring, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And, and, you know, we are all trained to in our worldly effects to try to compete with someone else. To, there's someone else uh, that makes us strive to be something else. And God said, I made you in my image. I made you perfectly just the way you are, whether you are black or white, whether you are Jew or Gentile, I made you and you are beautiful to me. And I want you to work on this particular thing. I want you to work on that particular thing. I want you to work on this particular thing. And when we acknowledge what we're working on, and Jeff or Bob can easily tell you that what you work on, whether in industry or whether in the NFL, what you work on isn't to work until you don't get it wrong. You work until you, it's always right in what you do. And so working constantly to improve oneself makes us a whole better person. And it allows our children to remove that pressure from them that somehow uh, they'll get it perfectly right when they are of old age and, and that they have children. No, relieve yourself of that particular pressure and count on God to take away that anxiety. Absolutely right. And Jeff, to go off of what Ken just said, is it also important not to compare ourselves to our fathers or see, see if we measure up? There's no way to measure up except, uh, I mean, the perfect man is Jesus. So yeah. you accept the righteousness that he gives you. You accept the adoption by your heavenly father and you be you, which is what Ken was saying. You be the you that God designed. Okay, now, when Ken was saying you're working on things, he wasn't saying you read 10 self-help books and you do everything by yourself. <laughs> he was saying you, you've faced the reality of you have a temple. you got a drinking problem. You haven't been very affectionate. You haven't done so well in marriage. Uh, you don't know how to apologize well. Well, you let your close friends point that out to you. You ask them to pray for you. You go to your Heavenly Father and ask him for help. You might write about it in a journal. I write prayers about myself in the journal. God, I'm not good at this. Will you change me? You let God change you. God is the master. He will change you. Okay. That's, 
That's what's going on. So don't compare to someone else. Jesus is the role model, but he doesn't expect us to live perfectly. He just gives us perfect credit for having a right relationship with God because he forgave our sin. Mm -hmm. To get practical on this, I think humility is the primary characteristic of a godly man, which says, I can't do it on my own. I have I'm willing to become self-aware, let other people coach me up. Even ask your kids, hey, what would you like to see me do differently? How could I be a better dad? Ask your kids questions. Ask your kids questions and learn and apologize. If you want to preach a sermon to try to get your kids into heaven, you could preach it a hundred times and they may not respond whatsoever because it feels like you're forcing them and maybe your track record doesn't back it up. But if you apologize quickly to your wife, if you apologize quickly and sincerely to them, guess what you're modeling? Humility. Guess what humility is? The pathway to God. And if you find the humble pathway to God, Jesus will save you and you'll have eternal life. So that's the way with your children. Humble. Ask questions. Spend time with them. Prioritize them over your job. Realizing you're not going to look back and say, dang it, I didn't spend enough hours at the, at the job. You say, darn, I missed relationship with my 13-year-old daughter. And when she was 18 and that boy paid attention to her and she got pregnant, yeah, I should have been there before that, loving her, relating to her, taking her on daddy-daughter dates. Very true. Very true. Yeah, I agree with Ken. So in addition to humility in the role and calling of earthly fathers, we're supposed to reflect qualities from our heavenly father. So Jeff, what does it mean to reflect being a provider and a protector? Well, no one was more humble than Jesus, but uh, the ultimate provider is Father God. And that's what it is for us to steward our children and our family. Um, mm -hmm. Get responsible. We earn money. We save money. We get a smaller house if we're putting too much pressure on our wife. We buy insurance. We protect them from the internet, from bullies from bad ideas, not just by saying, don't look at any of this stuff. We inoculate them with some truth and some ability to debate and ask questions and see what's right and what's wrong. We equip them. Now, that's part of providing these days. America's pretty prosperous. Yes, there are people in tough, tough straits, but I think we need to provide more in the area of discipling and training our kids to handle a world that doesn't believe in God, that's out for itself, that compares every person to every other person, that bullies you and cancels you, and that is saying that up is down and down is up and right is wrong, wrong and wrong is right. I'm not going to go tell my kids, the world is a jerk. Be mean to your professors. They fall short just like you do. But I'm going to give my kids some truth so they have something they can go out there and handle the counterfeits and the deception and the challenges with. That's why dad dates his daughter. That's why he explains that sex is beautiful. God invented it. It's amazing. But guess what? It works real well in the context of marriage, just like fire works better in the fireplace than on the kitchen floor. <laughs> you, coach him. you coach him on sex under the context of what it's for. It's for great marriage and it gets better. You don't have to be an expert when you start. I don't know how humble these guys want to be, but I was a bad rookie. For a number of years, over time, I've learned to love my wife better. Mm -hmm. That's because mm -hmm. exclusive to one woman. Jeff, you're so right. Uh, it, 
a lot of people enter into parenthood with the idea that the children are the prominent, but they're not. Uh, they turn prominence into dominance and then uh, they, they lose the, the concept that the person who you're supposed to be with, your wife, your husband, that person is the most important person to you uh, for the entire existence here on earth. Your children will come, they will go, and they will have their own life, but they are looking at the relationship between the husband and the wife to carry out the affairs of mankind from this point on. And so the focus should be squarely on your wife or your husband uh, and then the children. And what they see in that relationship will do a whole lot more than anything um, that you can do in terms of buying them stuff or taking them places. The relationship between the husband and wife matters the most. Yeah, and Ken, when the kids become the focus of all the attention, and to your and Jeff's point, they grow up and they go away to college or they're get in, involved in the workplace, whatever, and they're gone, suddenly wife and husband don't find the glue there anymore because they made the kids the center of their world. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing holding them together any longer. And that's why one of the reasons we see a lot of divorces taking place, because they didn't do exactly what you and Jeff said in keeping each other and the relationship with each other as pivotal in the family relationships. Called a marriage-centered home, not a child-centered home. Uh -huh. Your child, to quote Mike Singletary, Hall of Fame linebacker, is to love their mother uh -huh. and to build marriage and then give them a GPS so they know how to date, handle sex, handle attraction, handle affection, those engines. Right. That got right. Towards marriage and know how to accept forgiveness when they mess up. Yeah and have a lifelong marriage. If we don't give our kids a GPS, this culture will send them off the cliff. And that's what we yep. give them a GPS for human relationships under the blueprint of marriage, humble, kind, committed, considerate, other-centered relationships. That's providing for your kids these days, even more so than money being all that important. And that's protecting. I can't just tell my kids, don't look at porn. I got to tell them why. I got to show exactly. the real thing is. You know, often people think that the man's job is to provide, meaning you just go out, you bring the income in, you hand it to your wife, you sit down in the chair, you watch TV until you fall to the point where TV's watching you. And, and that's the existence. But provision is to be the provider of the effects of God. We are to provide the example before our children, before our wives of exactly what God is. And in, that is one of the most taxing and humbling things that you will ever endure um, because you're constantly reminded of how, fall, uh, how often you fall and, and the shortness thereof, but you're also enduring and encouraged to keep going, keep getting it right, keep trying. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give over. Run the race until it is complete. Um, and, and so I, I hope as the men are listening here tonight, uh, today, or whenever you're watching this, that you understand 
that the beauty is in the race itself. It's not in the finish line. It's in the race. Running the race teaches you to strengthen yourself, to get better at it, and to run the race the proper way, where your wife is the most important thing, your husband's the most important thing, but also that your children are able to see Christ and how you treat each other and love each other uh, for generations to come. Well said, Ken. As we're exploring these different characteristics and qualities of fatherhood, is it safe to say that fatherhood is more than just the sum of its parts? Bob, do you agree with that? I'm not sure exactly what you're asking, Michael. Well, you're talking about these different qualities. We brought up nurturer, protector, boundary maker, coach, guide. But it's, it's more than that. Those are roles. And when you make it a calling, you see the opportunity in each one of those roles. So therefore, yeah. fatherhood is more than some of its parts. Yeah, and it's more than just act one, act two, act three, and act four, where it's linear and everything's neatly divided up because fatherhood isn't like that. Uh-uh. It's more of a symphony. It has different movements at different times and different things come in, whether it's the brass section or the percussion section or the woodwinds or the strings, and it changes and shifts. And therefore, uh, one of the things that's dangerous, I think, in the area of parenting is to think, well, I'll do this when they're uh, age birth to four, and I'll do this when they're five to seven or eight, and I'll do this when it's eight to 14. It's really much more fluid than that. And will continue to be now that I have uh, adult kids that are 46 and on down to about uh, 41, it still remains fluid. So one of the things I think you gotta be careful about is in a parenting kind of focus, trying to any of us make it sound like it's very easy and segmented and very linear and it happens a b c d e it may be a and then to d and then back to b and then suddenly i'm at f because that's how life moves yeah bob you know you're probably wondering well how do i know when to go from c to b back to a to well the, the whole point that every one of us are making today is this isn't a solo sport you're not a your heavenly father will guide you in your fathering. If you ask him, if you turn to him, and if you literally wait for him, Jesus said, I don't do anything my father doesn't tell me to do. I don't say anything my father doesn't tell me to say. My father's always at work and I do his work and I give him glory. If we live that way as dependent upon the father for guidance, we'd figure out when to do A, when to do C, when to, apologize, right. when to draw a boundary, when, when to say, no, you can't go hang out with those kids. But when to say, hey, bring those kids over. I want to know them. I want to know your friends. That'll bless you. Let God guide you in that. And secondly, that's your vertical team. Every guy out there can have a horizontal team, a mentor who's a good dad. You can go say, can we go to lunch sometime? Can we do this every couple of months? Can I call you on the phone? And I encourage men to have a huddle two closest friends that they connect with weekly and they process the important stuff of life, including, hey, I'm going through this with my teenager or we're facing this with this child. What do you think? Process it out loud and you'll get the stupid ideas kind of off the table before you practice them. (laughs) 
and you may even gain some great counsel, which is the Bible says uh, you should always seek good counsel before uh, taking any action. So vertical team is love a father, ask him how to father, horizontal team, a mentor and a couple of friends. And I do think church counts. Don't ship your kids off to church and delegate the job to them, but take them to church, let them minister in there, but you're the one that shapes the discipleship of your kids' faith and their character. It's dad's job. Church can help you. They can't do it all for you. Michael, tied into what Jeff just said, going back to the playbook, as Jeff calls it, or the owner's manual, as I refer to the Bible, um, either way, Psalm 32.8 says exactly what Jeff just said. God says, I, the Lord God, will guide you and lead you, and I will do it with my eye on you. Uh, Proverbs 16.9 from the playbook and owner's manual says, that we may make plans in our heart, but God alone directs our steps. Or Isaiah 30, 21 says, you're going to hear a voice behind you, and that voice will say, this is the way. Walk in it. And there's an innate JPS that uh, referred to earlier by Ken and Jeff that God gives within our life so that regardless of the age of our child, if they need nurturing at that moment, God will be saying to us, be sure to express your love to them right now. Affirm them, build them up, really tell them how proud you are of them. Or if they're dealing with a struggle of a decision, help them see the boundaries that God has in this decision and let them see that it's God who has the boundary, not you as the dad who's setting the boundary primarily. Or if they need the provision issue, whatever it is they need provided, God will say, right now, he or she is needing you to provide to them, and he'll let us know what that is if we're listening. And by listening, I don't mean audible voice. I mean to the impression in the heart that God so clearly gives and how he uses the mind to put in our mind the thoughts that we need at that moment as a dad on whether to be a nurturer at that moment, a provider, a protector, a boundary maker. Boy, he is unbelievable in how faithful he is in doing that for dads. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing, Bob. Uh, Ken, would you like to close us out with some encouraging words of prayer? Well, most certainly. I want to begin with Jude 1, 24 through 25 for every man who is tuning in and watching this, and I know that there is someone there thinking, well, those three guys must be perfect fathers, uh, and, you know, they never had any issues and or problems, and I want you to understand uh, exactly where the Lord sees all of us. He says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, I want you to understand that God both knows that we will stumble, but he's seeking you to depend on him to stop stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. There's no longer a need for you to keep holding on to the bitterness of your failures, to keep questioning whether you are able to do that which God has exacted you to do in terms of the production of a child. And you can have joy doing it. But here's the last verse. It requires humility to the only God, our Savior, 
be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. There are four things that you're going to have to turn over to him. The glory. Stop looking for people to pat you on your back. The majesty. Oh, how great thou art. You really aren't. The power, meaning that you are the dictator in chief of your domain and they should just obey you. And the authority. You're not the last word. Christ is. Lord God, I ask you right now as we have not only read your word and heard your word and extolled upon your word, that you touch the lives of every single man who is watching this particular hour. Those that you have ornated to give counsel and those that you have ornated to perceive that particular counsel. I ask you right now, Father God, to strike within the very souls of who we are, the very midst of your presence, a desire to be humble, to admit where we are defeated, and to turn it all over to your victory. I ask you right now, Father God, to strengthen us in our weaknesses and allow us to be weak in our strengths. I ask you right now, Father God, to bless every husband and every father. Bless them to become better husbands and better fathers. Forgive them of their sins and their transgressions against you, for we know according to thy word that you are faithful to forgive us just because we ask. Not that we deserve it, but that you are graceful enough to do it. And I ask you right now, Father God, for those who have questions in their own heart, first about salvation, that they turn to you and they accept you as Lord and Savior. And then lastly, about being a great father. What a tremendous adventure it is to love one another and to nurture and to provide for and to protect. But those qualities and those graces, Father God, only come from you. We ask you right now, Father God, that these men turn to those that can nurture them to be the best in fathering and the best in husbandry. And that in the end, that we may all glorify you and what we say, think, and do. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, we say amen. Ken, Bob, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. I'm Michael Conant. We look forward to having you join us again next time on High Impact Dance. If you would like to know more about Bob's book, Ending the Cycle of Father Wounds, please visit Bob's website at bobrecord.com. Record is spelled with two C's, R-E-C-C-O-R-D. Bob also has a study guide with embedded videos available as a companion to the book. You can find these and all of Bob's books at bobrecord.com and dpztechnology.com under the Total Life Impact Bookstore. Ken McClinton is the founder, chairman, and president of the Exceptional Conservative Network, the best in urban conservative news, talk, and movies, and the Exceptional Conservative Show. You can watch his show live at TECNTV.com. If you would like to know more about Jeff Kemp's ministries and book, Facing the Blitz, visit JeffKempTeam.com. Our host, Michael Conant's book, A Work in Progress, can also be found at dpztechnology.com. You could be a part of this mission to spread this word to others. If you haven't already done so, please take a moment to subscribe to High Impact Dads on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. 
When you do, leave a five-star rating and write a nice review. Every five-star rating, review, and every new subscription truly does make it easier for those who need this information the most to find it. Please pass this on to anyone you may know struggling with father wounds.